morning, everyone. And today we are so excited to begin a new series, and we're studying the book of James. And so the first thing I want to just ask everybody to do, uh, perhaps today, it's a it's, it's not a big task I'm asking you to do. I'm asking simply that you read through the book of James. Now, I say book because we refer to uh, each, each section uh, of the Bible that has got a name on it. We call it a book. But in fact, this is just a letter. It's a very long, well, a fairly long letter, a longer letter than you and I would write somebody. Um, but it's, uh, it's the book of James, the letter written by James to Jewish Christians all over the world. And this is one of my very favorite books because it is one of the most practical books in the whole Bible. It tells us how to live the Christian life. Now, one of the first things that, um, uh, one of the first criticism I ever heard or recollect of the church is that the church is full of hypocrites. How many have heard that before? You know what I'm talking about. And maybe you've even uh, called other Christians hypocrites, and maybe you've been called a hypocrite. Very simply, people look at those of us who call ourselves Christians, and they, they want to see whether or not we really do, in fact, live up to the title Christian. They want to know whether or not we really do believe in Christ and believe in living like Christ. The word hypocrite has at its root the word acting or actor. And so really that's what a hypocrite is. It's somebody who's acting or pretending to be something that they're really not. So James helps us eliminate that hypocrisy from our life. He shows us exactly what our attitude should be, and he tells us exactly how we should be living our life from day to day, moment by moment, so that we are genuine, we are real. The book of James, in case you don't know it, is probably the oldest book in the New Testament. It was the first book written somewhere between 45 and 49 AD, so literally just a few years after Christ ascended into heaven. It's one of the very first instructionals um, given to the church, and it tells Christians how they need to live their life. Now, the question is this, which James is this? Who is this James? One of the things that you will discover when you first start reading the Bible is that sometimes it is a wee bit confusing because there are uh, multiple persons, for instance, who are called Herod. There's a total of nine different Herods, Herod the King, Herod the Great, etc., etc. When it comes to the name Simon, there are three Simons in the Scripture. There's Simon the Sorcerer, there's Simon the Zealot, there's Simon Peter, who is one of the disciples of Christ. Um, how many have heard of Judas Iscariot? And you might be surprised to know that, in fact, in the New Testament, there are a total of eight different Judases. A little bit confusing. And so it is with the book of James. And there's some confusion as to which James it was that wrote this book. And, in fact, it's not the disciple James. It's, in fact, the brother of Christ James who wrote this letter. Now, for some of you, you may not appreciate the, uh, the significance of that. Well, let me just tell you. James, the brother of Christ, did not become a Christian until after Jesus rose from the dead, until after his resurrection. It was after his resurrection, after he saw the transformation uh, in, in so many people's lives and saw his brother rise from the dead that finally he put his faith in his brother who then became his Lord and his Savior. 
very significant, very powerful. This is actually what brought faith to James's heart, seeing his brother die and then rise again from the dead. James went on to become what the Bible calls a pillar of the church. In fact, he was really on an on a equal footing with the apostles, and some would say that he was the greatest Christian who uh, ever lived. He was called James the Just because of his righteousness, because of his uh, fierce devotion to living out the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so really, that's what we discover in this letter, in this book. It's extremely practical. Do you know that within 108 verses, there are 60, at least 60 responsibilities outlined by James for you and me? Very clear instructions as to how it is that we need to live this Christian life. And so over the next number of weeks, I'm going to be telling you more and more about James But what I want to tell you about today is James's faith. It's a most powerful, most amazing faith. And this letter begins with the words that were quoted in the sketch this morning, and we find it in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can take your Bible and turn to those verses, James chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And here's what it says. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, this sounds bizarre, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So James is telling us something that sounds very bizarre and sounds very contrary to maybe what you've heard in your Christian experience. James is telling us to rejoice when difficulties and struggles come our way. Well, I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a few moments or what James means by that. But let me just begin by saying this. Contrary to what you may have grown up believing or what you've heard preachers preach, listen to this, trials and testing are absolutely part of the Christian experience. I know that there's some churches and some preachers that would disagree with me on this, but what they don't realize is that they're not disagreeing with me. They're disagreeing with Scripture, So trials and testings and temptations and difficulties are absolutely 100% part of our Christian experience. So those of you who have come here today thinking, you know, I'm under such attack, I'm having so many problems and so many things aren't going my way and so many things are going bad for me and so therefore God must have forgotten about me or the devil is just having a heyday with me as, uh, as Mark pointed out in the sketch. He stubbed his toe that obviously the devil's after him. Now, here's what you and I need to understand today. Your focus, my focus, needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, what matters most is that Jesus Christ is working in your life and mine. I'm amazed at how many people who call themselves Christians still believe that being a Christian means that suddenly you're no longer having problems, struggles, and temptations. Brand new believers, when they give their hearts to Christ, are so shocked when they have problems, when they have troubles and testings. Do you know, when I came out of Bible school in the 1980s, there was a spell through the 1980s and the 1990s that there was a, a prevalent teaching amongst many churches and many pulpits throughout North America, and actually it spread to different parts of the world, that suggests that because we're king's kids, 
And by king's kids, I mean, you know, we're children. Once you become a Christian, you're a child of the king of kings, the lord of lords. Because we're king's kids, that somehow you and I are princes and princesses. That somehow we should be able to live like royalty. And so the, the idea that, that we should have no more problems and that we should have no more difficulties and that we should have whatever we want was what many, many people believed. That was, that was their belief system. They believed, once I become a Christian, I'm going to have it all my way. I'm going to have whatever I want. In fact, some preachers even taught people that they should cut out pictures out of a magazine of what they want and put it on their refrigerator. So, for instance, if I want a brand new car, I would cut that picture out and I would put it on my refrigerator. So, and if you have a lot of faith, well, maybe you could put up a Ferrari. If you don't have too much faith... Uh, you know, maybe a Ford Focus. I don't know. But whatever it is that you want, in Jesus' name, and because God wants you never to have any more problems, cut out your picture and put it on the, on the refrigerator. You don't like your home? No problem. Cut a picture out of a magazine of a house that you want, put it on your fridge, and just start praying over it and believing that God's going to do that for you. You don't like your body? No problem. Find a picture in a magazine of the ideal body for you, put it on the refrigerator, and start praying, believing that God's going to give you that body. And here's the thing. The more faith that you have, the more likely it is that you'll have the body of your dreams, the car of your dreams, the house of your dreams, yes, and even the spouse of your dreams. Can you imagine cutting out a picture of a beautiful woman, putting it on the refrigerator and saying, this is the girl for me? And you know what? That is seriously was going on. In fact, some people still function that way. And every time they go by the refrigerator, they put their hand on that picture and say, oh God, let it be. (laughs) Dear God, give me that body. So here's the thing. If, If you have a brain in your head, you look at that and you think, what a load of horse manure. It's absolutely bizarre. It's weird. It's dumb. In fact, Many people who maybe never went to church or many people who've heard about church, they look on and they listen to this nonsense and they think, you know, what a bunch of weirdos. I'm not having any part of that. Has anybody ever heard of Peter Popoff? Ever seen his TV show about the divine transfer? All you have to do is send away lots of money and get his special anointing oil or his spring water. You drink it and then God will transfer $25,000 into your bank account. Anybody in favor of that? I am. (laughs) Bring it on. But guess what? It doesn't work like that. We would call that charlatanism. Out of this this notion of this idea that you could have a problem-free life and have everything you want, came this idea that you and I could live a victorious life, meaning that you never, ever have any more problems ever again that you'll never have a a struggle, you'll never have a temptation, you'll never have a a trial or a testing. You would live a trouble-free life, untouched by difficulty. Now, the follow-up from this heresy is, of course, the people did not grow spiritually. What they did is they grew greedy for more and more and more. And if I just could go to church and if I could just, you know, if I could just get the pastor to preach a sermon on how God wants me to be rich and I could just believe that and believe more and more of it, then God will make me richer and richer and healthier and healthier and no more problems in my life. Now, the interesting thing is this. 
So many of these preachers who are preaching that kind of faith are preachers now who are in the newspaper headlines. This pastor, this, this minister, TV preacher, TV evangelist has cheated on his wife, has had an affair, and this one is, is being uh, investigated by, by the IRA, and, or IRS, I mean, and on, on and on and on it goes. And we've got major problems here. What's, what's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is, is that they confused a life of wealth and riches with what true faith is. So I'm going to tell you today, uh, and, and here it is, just in case you, you weren't sure, I'm going to declare it now so that you will know this for the rest of your life. Struggles, difficulties, temptations, problems, testings, all of these are part of the Christian experience. Does this mean that God wants us to have difficulties or struggles in our life? Of course not. God doesn't want us to, to suffer and have pain and suffering and weeping and, and sorrow. Of course he doesn't want that, but he knows that sometimes we need it. Sometimes it's exactly what we need. And so this is why James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why would he say that? Well, because you know that your faith is, uh, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now, I'm going to tell you, it does sound a little bizarre, these words of James, but, but I'm going to tell you, it makes complete sense, and you're going to see that in just a moment. Why would he say that, having troubles is an opportunity for great joy, and I'll tell you why. It's because God wants you to grow spiritually. How many know that we have not gone to heaven yet? Everybody knows that? If you woke up this morning and came to church, you know we're not in heaven yet. At minus 25, I can guarantee you this is not what's going to be in heaven. Right? Just because we know hell is the opposite doesn't mean <laughs> that heaven's going to be the opposite of hell. It, it, it is the, it, this is not heaven, folks. And yet we live as though this were heaven. Uh, we live as though that this is it. And we've confused the American dream, the dream of a life of happiness and having whatever you want. We've confused that with Christianity. But it's not Christianity. It's the American dream. What God wants for you and me is simple. He wants us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And so many preachers and so many teachers and so many Christian books on the subject would suggest that what God wants is for you to be healthy and wealthy and have a perfect marriage and to have us good sleep at night and that magically all your problems go away. Now, I will say this to you. That when you begin to live the Christian life, these things often do happen. That you will see the, uh, the, a cause and effect experience happening in your life. Where, whereas you, you give your heart to Jesus and you find yourself beginning to experience the health and the peace and the joy. And you begin to experience things go right in good relationships, etc., etc. But folks, this is not the goal. And that comes as a surprise to many people. I'll tell you what the goal is. The goal is that you become like Jesus. 
The goal is, is that you become connected to your Father in heaven who loves you. Do you know why God created you? He created you for relationship with him. And that's always a starting point. Where you and I, in our rebellion, come before God and we repent and we say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my rebellion. I want to come back into a right relationship with you. And so Christianity is all about coming to God, confessing our sin, and saying, God, I want to have a right relationship with you. Now, one of the very very first things that we discover in the history of Christianity is clear instruction or clear guidance as to what life is about and what it is that we are on this earth for. And so the Westminster Short Catechism says this, what is the chief end of man? What is man's purpose? And it declares this very simply, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So here's the thing. If we're going to talk about your happiness, and we're going to talk about God providing for you, if we're going to talk about God meeting your needs, if we're going to talk about you getting to that place where you and God have a tight and glorious friendship, relationship, then folks, it's going to, be, it's going to have to start with God changing you transforming you, changing your heart, changing your attitude, changing your mind. And I'm going to tell you this, before your heart and your mind will ever be changed or transformed, you're going to have to come to the place where you recognize that that's what God's doing in you. So if you're going through a difficult time in your life right now, you're going through a struggle or a problem, guess what? It's God nearby, knocking on the door of your heart, saying, hey, you're not where you need to be. Because here's what I know about every single person in this room today, every single person here, including myself, every one of us is experiencing difficulties or struggles even now. Every one of us. And here's what else I know. I know that you're tempted to think that God has forgotten about you, that God doesn't love you, that perhaps God is angry at you because you're going through a difficult time. James tells us that this is not true. James tells us that quite the opposite. If you're going through a difficult time right now, it's not because God has forgotten about you, but it's because God's allowing it in order for you to get your eyes on him. Every one of us knows how difficult, how easy it is to forget about God. How easy it is to go through the course of the week and never pray and never connect with God and never hear his voice. We all know that. But folks, if it's the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then you need to understand that the, that the pathway to maturity and growth and happiness is going to begin in your relationship to God. And this is why James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials or difficulties because this is the thing that's going to get you back on track. This is the thing that's going to get you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. How many of us, when things begin to go well, we suddenly forget about God? When things begin to go difficulty, begin to go difficult and we have difficulties, that's when we say, oh, God, I need your help. Isn't that true? When do people pray? They tend to pray more when they're in trouble than when they're not. Isn't that right? 
When do people call the pastor, pastor, pray for me? It's not when things are going well, but it's when things are going difficult. And so James says, wow, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for you to get your life right with God. And so here's what I know the Spirit of God is saying to you right now. The Spirit of God is tapping you on your, on your, on your shoulder, tugging on your heartstrings. And he's saying to you, hey, isn't it time that you turn your eyes upon me and let, let me into your life? That's what God's saying right now. Isn't it time for you to allow me to help you with your marriage? Isn't it time for you to allow me to help you with your children, with your family, with your job, with your health? You know, back when I was 39 years old, which is many, many years ago, I was overweight and I found myself coming to age 40 and thinking to myself, I don't want to hit 40 years of age overweight and unhealthy. And so I began a, a really severe exercise regimen at the, at the Wellness Institute. There's an elliptical machine. I'd get on that thing and I'd go as fast as I could for 20 minutes. Now, if anybody is used to using machines at the gym, you know what I'm talking about. I was, I'd be beat red I'd be soaking wet from sweating. I couldn't breathe. One of the, one of the people that wanders around said, hey, do you want to do, do your exercise in front of a TV? And I, th- I said, girl, I'm working too hard to watch TV. TV would just annoy me right now. And that's how hard it was working. By the time I got off that bike, my heart's racing, my beat red, and I had to walk around the gym about three or four or five or ten times, I don't know what it is, to cool off because I was working that hard. And I'm going to tell you, folks, the weight began to fall, fall off, and I got into size 32 jeans. Yeah. Hey, I'm not there now. So don't, no, don't worry. <laughs> I'm working my tail off, and I'm starting to look really good. And, so, and some of you cynical people are saying, well, what happened to you? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened, actually. I had some jaw surgery and um, in bed for almost two months and gained so much of it back. I look back to that time when I exercised my guts out and got myself into shape. I also changed some of my eating habits. I began to eat more healthy. And you know what that means when you eat healthy? It means no sugar, no fat, no salt. It means you're eating like a rabbit, really. And I mean, I got, I got really, really healthy. Here's the thing. If you want to be healthy, there's pain involved. If you want to be a wealthy and a successful businessman, guess what? There is long hours involved. There is difficulties. There are setbacks. But there is a price to be paid for whatever it is that you want. If you want to grow intellectually, you need to take the time, spend the time, in the library, you've got to read, you've got to study, you've got to be diligent in expanding your intellect. We have a saying, no pain, no You've heard this. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it that if we understand that in, our, in the area of our health, 
in the area of our intellect, in the area of our industry or business? Why is it that we don't understand that spiritually? Why is it that we approach our walk with God as though it should be, you know, come to God and let him wave his magic wand over us so that everything is magically fixed? Folks, this is not how our relationship with one another works, and it's not how our relationship with God works. God is going to allow you to go through some difficult times in your life because these are the things that are going to cause you to run to God and to begin to grow and develop spiritually. The question is this. Will you submit to that process of growing? Look at look what else James says in this letter. James chapter 1, verses 2, uh, 4. Let's, let's see that verse. It says this. So James says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So when you're going through your difficulty and your struggles and your problems, and you're saying, God, I'm going to allow you to do that work in my life. I'm going to allow you to change me. I'm going to allow you to, to make me more mature. I'm going to allow you to develop me spiritually. Here's what, here's what James says. You will become perfect and complete, needing nothing. What's he saying? James is saying you're going to grow up. You're going to become the person that you've always wanted to become. And that person that you've always wanted to become is that person who is back in a right relationship with God. You see, I could talk to you about how you need to do this A, B, C, and D to have a better marriage. And I can tell you how to be a better parent. And I can tell you how to have better finances and a better financial position. And I can tell you how to, how to be a better employee so that you can do well in business. But at the end of the day, the thing that you need most is need to be in a right relationship with God. And here's what happens, folks, when you and I are in a right relationship with God. Everything else falls into place. We call it spiritual alignment. When your life is right with God, guess what happens? You become a better husband. When your life is right with God, you become a better wife. When your life is right with God, you become a better friend. And you will have friends. When you get your life right with God, you become a better employee. You become the kind of person that can be promoted. When you become a better Christian and you get closer to God, folks, things begin to fall into line. We call it spiritual alignment. This, folks, is what Christianity is all about, and that's the faith that James is talking about. The problem with so many of us is this, is that we don't have the guts to carry through with it. We say, oh, it's too difficult, it's too hard, I don't think I can do this. Remember Mark sitting there talking to Adeline? Oh, one day, what one day can bring. But the fact of the matter is, folks, listen to this, is that when you get yourself aligned with God and you get back into that right relationship with God where you're glorifying him and enjoying him, everything else falls into place. By the way, what does it mean to glorify God? I'll tell you. It means that you reflect the very nature of God to everybody around you. So there's an interesting question. When people look at you, do they see God? Or do they see a hypocrite? Do they, say, do they see the Lord Jesus Christ, or do they see somebody who's pretending? 
And so God allows difficulties and struggles in our life to shape us, to mold us, to change us. I'm going to tell you, folks, I would not trade the difficulties and the struggles that I've had in my life. I wouldn't trade them in for anything. Do I want to go through them again? Are you crazy? Of course not. But I can tell you this. God's transformed me through it. He's transformed me through the hardships that I've gone through. I was thinking about my driving record. Anybody want to hear about it? My nephew here is a policeman, so I've got to be careful what I say. Uh, first, I don't know, six, seven years of my driving record, perfect. No tickets, no driving, no speeding tickets. I told my dad about it. He said, touch wood. Closest thing to is your head. <laughs> uh, no tickets. And then suddenly... As life became hectic and more busy and I'm up to my eyeballs and ministry and problems, I find myself thinking that if I go a little faster, I'll be able to get more done. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I got my very first speeding ticket whilst trying to take a shortcut so I could get to my destination quicker. The shortcut, my friends, was through the city park, the Cinnaboyne Park. And I was going a little bit faster than I ought to. And I, by the time I get to the pavilion, there's a cops looking right at me. First ticket. And I felt devastated. And I said, God, I am so busy doing your work. You couldn't look out for me? You couldn't, you couldn't put blinders on their eyes? You couldn't do some miracle like you did in the Old Testament? Got my first ticket. And then it was just, I don't know, two days later, I'm, I'm screeching down Saskatchewan Avenue, which is closed now. You might remember that out near the perimeter. And I'm going full speed because I know that if I go down Saskatchewan, I can get down there real quick. No stop signs, no traffic lights, um, but right to the perimeter. And there's, there's the cops. Caught me within two days. And I'm saying, God... Here I am, I've got more responsibility than I've ever had in my life as a young pastor. God, don't you think you could look out for me and help me through this? I'm hearing, I'm hearing stony silence from God. God's not saying a word. Folks, I want to tell you something. I, was really, I really felt really ticked off at God. Has anybody ever felt ticked off at God? I mean, you never heard, thought you'd ever hear your pastor say that he was ticked off at God, but I'm saying it. I was really ticked off. I'm praying. I do my devotions in the morning before I leave the house. God, look out for me. Help me get me. Help me get through, through the day, blah, 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 whatever. And God's not there for me. God has not got my back. Have you ever felt like that? God's not got your back. Where is he? Do you want to know something? That was, the, that was my very first lesson, the very first time I can consciously remember God's saying to me, Alan, I'm going to teach you something now that you've never known before. And I can look back now and I can say, thank you, God, for those speeding tickets. And not only did I have some speeding tickets, folks, but I, I've told you how I lost my bumpers, my front bumper, my back bumper. So the loss of my bumpers, the speeding tickets, I get a phone call from MPI saying, we think you need to come in and have another driver's test. Because we don't think you know how to drive. 
And I get there, and they say to you, what do you do for a living? Uh, <laughs> I'm a pastor. Mm. I did my driver's test, folks, and I learned a lesson. I learned, first of all, that God does not make exceptions, does not wink at sin. He does not turn a blind eye. I discovered that God makes us face the difficult struggles, the difficulties that we face in order to teach us to be more Christ-like. Now, here's what I know. Every single one of us who are going through a difficult time right now and you're tempted to think that God has forsaken you or forgotten about you, he hasn't. He's letting you learn a lesson. He's letting you experience the consequences of your behavior so that you'll become more like Jesus. Consider it pure joy. Consider it an opportunity for joy that God's not leaving you the way you are. That God is transforming you so that you'll be a better husband and a better wife and a better mother and a better father and a better student and a better friend. God's busy changing you. He's changing your character so that you would reflect Jesus Christ. Let me just say this in closing. James, the author of this book, he ended up dying as a martyr. In case you don't know what a martyr is, it's somebody who dies for the faith. I wondered, I wonder while James was being attacked by his countrymen and literally being stoned, I wonder if he had these words going through his mind. His own words. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. Some of you have got a decision to make today, and it's this. Are you going to surrender? Are you going to submit to what the Holy Spirit is showing you that you need to change? Or are you going to go on in your stubbornness, in your rebellion? Are you going to go on doing what you're doing? Or are you going to say, God, okay, I give up. I'm going to start living the way you've called me to live. I'm going to start becoming the person you call me to become. I'm going to tell you this. In that moment, that day where you say, God, I give up, I surrender, that will be a turning point for you. You will begin to experience the peace and the joy that I always talk about. Things will start to improve and go better for you. James closes with these words in James 1, verse 12. He said, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. So if you're going through hardship, difficulties right now, the temptation is to say, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to be a follower of Christ. And I'm saying, patiently endure this. Because afterwards, you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Do you want God's blessing in your life? Do you want to be a fantastic spouse? Do you want to be a fantastic parent? Then folks... You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, God, I'm going to do it your way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence and your power at work in our lives this morning. Father, we pray that in the midst of whatever difficulty or struggle that everybody here is going through right now, that they would recognize that you haven't abandoned them, that you still love them, you're there. And God, that you would show each one of us today
that you just want to see us changed and transformed and back into a right relationship with you. So God, thank you so much for your power at work in our hearts and in our lives. And yeah, we're going to say it. Thank you, Lord, for the difficulty we're going through. Because we know, God, it's your way of getting our attention and it's your way of shaping our character and making us better people. Father, we pray that we would submit to that process. That we would say, God, hear my, change me. Hear my, God, with all my weaknesses, with all my failings, I bring it all to you right now. Make me a better man, better woman. And we thank you, God, for the work you're doing in us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna-